The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We have a number of special guests with us this morning. Uh, first of all, I want to introduce you to my dear friend. Many of you have met him before. Some of you have not. Uh, Dr. Celestin Musakura, would you guys welcome Celestin to the stage with me? Celestin, come on up, brother. This is my dear, dear brother who we met in January of 1996 in Nairobi, Kenya. As he was there studying, uh, he was away from Rwanda. He's Rwandese, as many of you know, and uh, he was out of the country during the times of the killings. And you have some special guests with you today, so uh, would you introduce your guests to us so that we can meet them? Good morning, Tempo. Let me turn your microphone on. We need a microphone on here, bro. Where are you? Where are you? Oh, yeah. You know, I am from the bush, so... It's an honor now. You know, bring the bushman in the city. <laughs> Things don't work always, you know. <laughs> but I'm very grateful. Again, uh, I'm so uh, thankful for the opportunity. Uh, I'm with my friends, uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, Bernadette is not here with me today because she's also preaching at another church in Dallas, uh, the Ethiopian congregation invited her to speak, and so she's not here with me. Uh, but I have, uh, uh, would you stand up, please? I have four of my friends. Uh, yesterday we had a shower, or what we call in Africa, engagement party for Providence. Uh, you all know Providence, and so the gentleman who is uh, standing uh, is uh, uh, the fiancé, of uh, Providence. So his name is Emmanuel. You know, I have another Emmanuel. That's another Emmanuel. So, <laughs> so Emmanuel is... Welcome, uh, Emmanuel. Some of you... <laughs> Some of you may know that uh, Providence actually did her residency here at Scott & White. She is a general practice uh, physician in Kenya now, and she and Emmanuel will be married in October, is that right? On 7th, October yeah. of this year. So yeah. congratulations to you guys. Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, um, these three remaining, Emmanuel, you may sit down. Thank you. <laughs> because I'm going to say something different. Um, I did not tell Gary why uh, I told him I'm coming with uh, a couple of people, but I did not want to tell him uh, who they are because I wanted this to be a surprise. And uh, when Gary came in January 1996, some of you know that we, uh, Rwanda had been destroyed, one million people killed, three million li- people living in refugee camps, 60% of the pastors murdered, those who survived scattered and quitting, and Gary came, the first group of pastors he met in Nairobi in January 1996 were refugees who had no hope, who were wondering if God even existed. And so three of these standing here, Gary, are those wow. you met. And when I told them I'm coming here, I told them Gary had been sick, and I told him Gary may die even in time. Well, I didn't realize Gary, that. I didn't realize you guys were you're not dying. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> Bless you, brother. Bless you. Bless you, my sister. Thank you so much. So um, they have been praying for Gary because they know what's going on, and uh, Gary, um, the. Uh, 
Elin on the, my right. Uh, she lives in Canada, uh, her and her family. And uh, they are ministering to other refugees, not only in Canada, but also in Africa. Um, Festus, Reverend Festus and Reverend Veneranda, Festus and Veneranda, they are pastoring congregations of Rwandese, Burundians, and the Africans in Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. Yes. Wow. So, <laughs> so, thank you. And so, as um, I mentioned, I told them I was coming here this morning, and they said, we know Gary, we are still standing because of his ministry to us when we were discouraged, when we were we didn't know where, where we were going. So we say we are going to, to see him. We have been praying for him. And so they are very happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, that's so sweet to have you yeah. guys. Thank you. <laughs> uh, not Thank only you. do we have the privilege to have them with us today, but uh, James and Jen Arnold and their family are here. Where are you guys? You're out there somewhere. Uh, would you guys stand up so we can recognize you guys? James and Jen are missionaries with their family in Nice, France. Jen grew up at TBC. <laughs> We give, them, we give them a hero's welcome as well. James Arnold taught me more about the nations and reaching the nations than anyone. And I am so grateful for that. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Okay, enough of tears. Let's go. So we're, we're grateful to have all these special guests with us, and it's an honor. We're doing a series called Questions this summer. And uh, we've been answering questions along the way. And this morning, uh, if you were with us in our website, you had the opportunity to contribute multiple questions. And we thought, well, rather than we can't answer all the questions that were submitted. We had over 100 uh, questions submitted. So uh, Celeste and I have been talking, and uh, we have picked out uh, several questions that you submitted. And uh, I've asked Celeste to weigh in on these. So uh, that's what we're going to do. Celeste, when we met him... Uh, was in Nairobi, Kenya. We went into the Rwanda, Rwandan refugee camps in mm. Congo, Zaire at that time. Yeah. And, uh, and there we had uh, the most phenomenal time of worship I've ever been involved in in my life with uh, these pastors who didn't know if their friends were dead or alive. And uh, first time they were able to congregate and uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal time. But through that, uh, our meeting with Celeste in January 96, uh, God subsequently allowed us to be part of bringing him to uh, the states to study, and uh, subsequently he received a PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary, heads up a ministry called Alarm African Leadership and Reconciliation Ministries that I've been privileged to be on the board of for a number of years. Thank so, you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. How many, how many nations, how many African nations is Alarm in right now? Eight countries, uh, Rwanda, Burundi, Congo, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Sudan, and South Sudan. So he heads a ministry, he's the, he's the CEO of that ministry, president of that ministry, ministering in eight African countries, and uh, has a huge responsibility, uh, numerous staff members throughout uh, these African nations. He's back and forth to Africa, lives in Dallas, but back and forth to Africa frequently throughout the year. Uh, we were together last year in, uh, outside of Nairobi, we, Bev and I did a marriage conference for their staff. And uh, it's amazing to see what God has done since 1996. I mean, Amen. it's really a miracle to see what's taken place. Many of you have been with us in some of these nations. And so uh, when I was thinking, who better to sit with me and answer some of these questions rather than a sermon format, question and answer format, uh, this is our dear brother who we love deeply and have had the privilege to minister alongside for many, many years. And uh, he comes with the expertise of a theologian. Uh, his PhD is in theology. 
and then also with the, uh, with, with the insight of an African. So I'm looking forward to this, and uh, let's pray, and then we'll look at it together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for folks like James and Jen, for Celestin and Bernadette, and our dear friends visiting with us, Lord. Would you bless this time? Would you, Holy Spirit, you tell us, you guide us into truth. Would you guide us into truth? Mm. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place and fill our hearts? Mm. Would you allow us to to hear from you? Mm. And would you let us leave this place as changed men and women? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Bev and I had a great week last week. We were at Pine Cove Family Camp, and uh, we were speaking to a group of 24 families, over 100 kids, and uh, it was just a wonderful time, and the Holy Spirit was present in the midst, and we've done this for about 18 years, and there's no doubt it was the most moving time uh, we've had. So uh, I believe God is at work in our midst. I'm praying he's at work in our body, and I've been praying for revival. Whatever days I have ahead of me, that God would indeed revive us, change us, and impact our community. Amen? So that's, that's my desire. Well, it's been a while since uh, we've been together and uh, looking forward to this. So we're going to dive right in and uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the questions we have before us. Um, and congratulations, by the way, on uh, upcoming marriage. And we look forward to uh, celebrating with you guys. Thank you. So one of the first questions is, how can I forgive someone who has hurt me or my family and won't even apologize? And you've got personal experience with this. I mean, not everybody knows your story. Um, so why don't you share a little bit about your personal experience and we'll talk about how to forgive others. Uh, thank you. Um, thank you, Gary. Um, and whoever asked the question, uh, I want to thank you. Um, first, really, without even talking about my personal story, um, is there any other option? You know, because because the ocean is worse than not for forgiving, really. But we don't know that until uh, we realize that uh, uh, unforgiveness makes the people who are not forgiving worse than the people need to be forgiven. Mm. But myself, I, because of the cultural or even the understanding of what forgiveness is in our context of, uh, you know, hey, I want my rights, I want justice, and so forth, I probably did not understand the depth of forgiveness until when I was already at Dallas Seminary, when uh, uh, people went to my village and murdered my family. Uh, in fact, uh, when I got the news uh, here, it was said seven members of my family were murdered. But by God's grace, my mother and my niece survived, but my father, my brother, his wife, uh, his uh, daughter and uh, my adopted sister were all killed together with 70 members of my congregation. And so the morning of January 5th, 1998, just a week after they had been murdered, that's when I was reading the facts here in Dallas. The first question I, I asked was, where was God? The second was, who are they? And that question was loaded by I want to know them so that I can revenge. Of course, I was not going to kill, but I was probably going to avoid to speak to them, maybe to pray a bad Baptist prayer for them, you know. (laughs) I'm a Baptist minister, you know. So, I mean, uh, the question, who are they? I want to know who killed my family. Behind that question was, how can I get even? How can I revenge? 
How can I avoid them? How can I call them my enemies? How can I not even pray for their well-being? But it was that night, actually, that I learned about forgiveness when God said, Celestine, you have been teaching others how to forgive from the theological, from the biblical, and from the reality, but now you have to do it before you know who they are. And so, really, forgiveness does not require any condition. Hmm. And because uh, at that moment, my condition was, I want to know, I want to have explanation, I want to understand why they did what they did, and the Lord said, I want you to forgive them before you know who they are. I did, by God's grace, but really I did not do it until actually I met them face to face. When I was able to say, you forgive me first, because when I saw them, I was angry. And the Spirit said, you forgive them, you are becoming a tribesman. So at that moment, really, that's when uh, what I prayed for, what I had uh, said I did, I was able to put it into practice by loving them and by um, asking one of them to take care of my mom who survived. So really, forgiveness is possible. You don't have... Wait, say that again. One of them does what? One of them took care of my mother who survived. One of this man whose brothers and father murdered the rest of my family and 70 members of my congregation. I trusted my mom who survived into his hands to care because I had forgiven him. And after that, he was no longer the killer. I mean, his was not a family of the killer. He became, he's my brother. And so forgiveness is unconditional because, again, they may not repent. They may never come back. So if we wait for them to come to repent, they will never come. I think when uh, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times do I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Then he gives that parable. And it's a parable of a slave who had an insurmountable amount to his master and and then uh, the master just forgave the debt. And then that slave turned around and found a fellow slave who owed him just 30 days wages and refused to forgive him. And I mean, the point of the parable is we've been forgiven this great debt of sin we couldn't pay. How can we then not forgive someone whose slight against us is nothing in comparison to the sin we've been forgiven? And that's uh, uh, key is how do we begin to think, because the key is, have I been forgiven? Yeah. Have I been given a grace? And so if I have been forgiven, and I know I'm going to stand before God, righteous, not because of my own actions, but because of God's grace forgiveness, then who am I to withhold that forgiven toward the other? The other thought that I actually have been really learning more is the, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. He says, how to be thy name, or your kingdom will come. Give us this day our daily food, mm-hmm. or daily bread, or chapati, or pizza, whatever. <laughs> but then the next is what? What's the next? So why does he have forgiveness for immediately food? See, we don't think about that. In this prayer... Even at the end of the prayer, he makes a comment on forgiveness, not on the holiness of God, not uh, anything else. Forgiveness for Jesus is very, very critical for our life, just as food is essential for our physical daily life. Hmm. Forgiveness is essential for our daily communion with one another. Hmm. 
And so we need to realize that without forgiveness, there is no communion. Not only communion with one another, but then in Mark, he goes and says, if you stand up to pray, like we are doing, you remember you have something against your brother, you do what? Go and be reconciled. Go. Don't even pray. Don't even worship. Don't even give offering. In fact, we should tell people, go home now. Be reconciled. So forgiveness is the key for our life, our communion with God. God values, Jesus valued forgiveness and reconciliation more than worship. Hmm. And so my friend, that's why I say we have no other option because we fail on that, we have failed on every level. Amen. And, you know, one of the things that really moved me when Celestin's uh, father and that whole family and his congregation were murdered, uh, he called me that night and we wept together. Hmm. And... uh, it's a hard, hard time. But then we went to Dallas and had a memorial service. And uh, I remember two things about that memorial service. First of all, um, Chuck Swindoll prayed and I preached. So he was the undercard and I was the heavyweight that day. <laughs> you are always. Yeah. <laughs> at, at, at least for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he knows my stomach well. We've had many meals together. Um, <laughs> But the second thing I remember is we were given a program, and I've got a copy of that program in my office. And in that program, it said, uh, from your family, to those who took the lives of the ones we love the most, we offer you the forgiveness that we know in Jesus Christ. Mm. And that has imprinted me. That was 20 years ago. I can quote it verbatim because they had already offered forgiveness to these folks that had taken the lives of the ones I love the most. So I'm not sure who you're having a hard time forgiving today, but we want to make this practical too. And the reality of it is if you're walking in unforgiveness and bitterness, the scriptures teach us that's not the way we're to live. In fact, in Colossians chapter three, it says we are to forgive as we've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. And so if you're walking around with bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, here's an example of a man who had a family murdered and he found within his heart because of what he'd received in Jesus to forgive them as well. And it doesn't mean justice doesn't take place. It doesn't mean we excuse what took place. Mm. But the reality of it is we recognize the importance if we're going to live for Christ to walk in forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's move on to the next question. Um, If God is all-powerful, why does he allow evil in the world? And I'm glad I'm asking the questions and you're giving the answers. (laughs) Gary, I don't think I have the answer today, (laughs) but um, the reality is that uh, for sure we all know that one day evil is going to be there to win. Amen. And so sometimes we believers, because of the pain and suffering, we expect to be in heaven. We are not in heaven yet. And so we know because of sin and uh, because of the fall, Sin has brought consequences, and some of the consequences are the killing of innocent people, the death of innocent children, the murder of innocent mothers. That's part of the fall. And so, but we know with redemption, with uh, uh, the, the cross, one day death is going to end, mm. one day suffering is going to be no, not there because that's the promise. As long as we are in the body, as long as we're in this foreign world, we are going to experience suffering. However, suffering is, for us Christians, 
is not a waste. Amen. Because suffering strengthens our faith, but also heightens our desire to go home. And some of us, if there be no suffering, we say we are in heaven. So we say, Jesus, I, will, I don't want to see you because I'm okay here. But the same thing also reminds us suffering will not have the last word. And so I want to encourage all of us that uh, if we read First Corinthians chapter 15, we hear us that Paul is talking about this suffering is nothing compared to the glory to come. Hmm. Amen. So when I am in a cell or a torture room in Rwanda or in uh, sleeping under the um, bed in Darfur when the bullets are flying, I say, Lord, if this is the night to come home, I'm coming. And uh, then uh, I wake up alive. He said, go on. You know, but the suffering we have, for us Christians, they have some theological and some physical or life implication that we need to realize that we are not home. Secondly, we need to realize that we grow stronger in our faith, but also we mature more in our suffering when we accept the suffering because it is not God's that for us to suffer, but because of the nature of the world, we would have to be like the others. We suffer like the rest, mm. but we suffer with hope. Right. By the way, being in a torture cell in Rwanda and bullets flying by in Darfur, that, those are not illustrations. Those are truths that he's experienced. And so when we talk about suffering and seeing pain firsthand, uh, this is part of his experience and part of where he's been and part of what's happened there. And so my conclusion was the same, brother. I, I read multiple chapters in the last two weeks on this, and mm. as I looked at it, I, I can't fully explain, but what I can say is God is good and God's all-powerful. All the time. And because of his goodness and because of his power, we recognize there's a purpose in it. And I actually had my Bible paper-clipped to the very thing you're talking about. In Revelation chapter 21, it talks about when we will be with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. And it says, he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death, no longer any mourning, no crying, nor pain. These first things have passed away. And so the great promise is that one day all evil and all suffering will be done. Amen? Amen. And uh, at the end of the First Corinthians 15, we're talking about suffering and the perishable becoming imperishable. And then the Romans 8 talking about our momentary suffering. At the end of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he says, this is one of my favorites. Actually, even in the torture room, I was saying, I have to stay unmovable. So he said, don't be moved. So even the suffering should not move us. Hmm. And so how do you not, uh, not you, how can you not be moved? As actually, when you are physically suffering, is remembering that God is good. He has a purpose. Hmm. God is great, but also he has a bigger plan than that moment of suffering. We can share stories, some of my sufferers, my persecutors in Rwanda, actually let alone, came to me and said, I want to know that Christ. Mm. The bullets flying and the Muslim torturing us in Darfur, let alone they came and say, we have never had the message of peace. We have already had the message of revenge. Mm. And so, I don't know what happens, but God has a plan in all those sufferings. Amen. But Amen. don't be moved. <laughs> The next question is, uh, how can I trust God when I pray and my prayers go unanswered? Thank God your prayers not answered. <laughs> if all our prayers were answered, I don't know, none of us would be here because some, I know some people that I die. I'm, I'm not joking. Yeah. 
Yeah, somebody in my village prayed that I die. And in fact, I was five years old. And this lady was praying, may Thresden die. Hmm. So if God had answered his, her prayer, I would not be here. Hmm. So really God, uh, James, actually James tells us why some of the prayers are not answered. Sometimes we pray badly. Sometimes we ask wrongly. Sometimes we have bad motives. But also we learn that uh, God wants our life to be pure. So sometimes sin can be the hindrance of our prayers being answered. Uh, Peter talks about a husband and wife mm-hmm. living in harmony so that their prayers will not be hindered. Mm-hmm. So really when our prayers are not uh, answered, we need to look not only God, why is not answering, we need to say, is there anything in my life that's mm-hmm. causing the answer to be not, mm-hmm. uh, prayer not mm-hmm. to be answered? People have said, you know, uh, this is one of the things that we say, when you pray, God may say, not now, wait, or no. But in all, I think my father, if I trust my father, I know he has answered my prayer. Hmm. Maybe not the way I want, hmm. but I know that he answered the prayers, but I may be the reason why my prayers are not answered. Yeah, uh, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Bell Graham, once said, the biggest problem in our day is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. We just don't pray. And uh, everybody says, yeah, I pray, but do you really spend time in the presence of God praying? And I remember Prof. Hendricks one time, he told us, he said, uh, I'm grateful for unanswered prayer. Of course, you sit up and pay attention. And he said, when I was a single man, I was preaching at a church in Fort Worth, and a lady came up, and she had a daughter in tow, and her daughter was not, the, uh, was not quite a knockout, not a beautiful woman. And the uh, lady said, Prof. Hendricks, I understand you're single. I've been praying that maybe God would have you marry my daughter. <laughs> and that's when Prof. Hendricks would deadpan and say, I've often thanked God for unanswered prayer. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. First John chapter 5 says this. It says that, that if we ask anything according to his will, and so what we recognize, we recognize the importance of praying according to his will. So... It's not my will, but his will. And we've talked about that in our conversations before, you know. Celestine has seen so many things happen in these nations, a lot of suffering, a lot of evil. And we recognize that in our lives, a desire to grow in Christ. Lord, what is your will for us? And I pray that you're praying that way. You know, I, I find it, I, in, it just, it's not, it's not our, we don't have the purview to go and say, God, this is what I demand. I find it quite unbecoming to demand things of God. But then to go before God and say, Lord, I desire your will. I desire for you to fill me and use me as you desire. So I don't know how you're praying, but I pray that you pray for his will to be done. Because that same prayer, that Lord's prayer you talked about, talks about according to his will. And so uh, thy kingdom come, thy what? Will be done. And so our prayer is, Lord, how can we do this according to your will, not ours? Next question is this, how do I deal with sin in my life that I commit over and over again? Does God ever stop forgiving me? And that was asked by a number of people here at TBC. So what would you tell somebody who's struggling with committing the same sin over and over? And uh, maybe maybe it's easier to answer the second question first, (laughs) does God ever stop forgiving me? I know that um, it takes spiritual growth uh, to go over or to overcome sin. And the Bible says there are some sins that really become 
strongholds in our lives. And such sins that keeps repeating themselves, the Bible gives us uh, some guidelines. And uh, James 5.16 says, confess your sin to each other. Some of the sins need to be brought into the open. Hmm. And now in the Africans, we, 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 we call, bring the, the, the sin to shame, you know. Sometimes when we hide the sin and we, we convince the sin, then we go back to it, it's because we have no accountability. And so James says, such sin, you need the help of others. You need, in fact, he says, you need to ask the elders. You need to go to the elders. You need to confess the sin to each other to openly share it because this is a battle that you cannot win alone. And so there is that element of how can I come to the open? How can I be vulnerable? And how can I ask for help? Mm. The help may be pastoral care, counseling, or removing yourself from that uh, environment. And so the Bible says, yes, victory is there. And but God also gives us the grace. God does not reject us because the sin is still coming. The problem is, are we fighting the sin mm. or we are just yeah. exposing ourselves to that sin? Are we, James, actually throughout the scriptures say, we need to run. So running away from sin, run away from it, expose it, confess it, and ask help from others. Mm. And, you know, when we embrace the gospel... And God's grace envelops us. What I find is, man, that grace allows us to walk. And, and, and we've received his righteousness. And so mm-hmm. that imputed righteousness, the righteousness of Christ given to us, allows us to live out the spiritual life. I, one, of the, I, one of our men taught a workshop this year at the men's conference that really impacted me. And it made me think the body of Christ is so great at embracing people who are broken. Mm. I mean, when we, as Celestin said, when we're vulnerable, when we're broken, I guarantee you the times I've stood up in this pulpit and shared with you the brokenness of my life have been the times I've received more email, more text, more care and concern than any time I've shared a victory. Mm. And so I would encourage you, I, I pray TBC is a hospital for the hurting. Mm. I, I pray that we are able to say, man, this is my battle. Would you pray for me? Mm. Or, or this is what God has done. Would you come alongside me? And I find that in our small groups, in our community groups, in the various places we are, in those settings when we're able to do that, the body of Christ is loving, caring, kind, and forgiving. And so I, I pray that wherever you find yourself, that, that you would be willing to, just as our brothers exhorted us, to, to make sure that our lives are open books to the folks before us. One of the things Bev and I have desired in the 36 years we've been here is to seek to live transparently before you. And I think when we do that and we seek to do that, hopefully we're providing an environment and setting a tone that allows you to do that wherever you are. Because I believe that's what true godliness looks like as we walk with him and do that with one another. I also encourage you to ask yourself this one question when that sin keeps coming. Ask the question, do I love this sin than Mm. I love Christ? Mm. At that moment, ask that question. It's coming again. I'm being tempted. Who do I love most? The sin or the Savior? Hmm. Does God ever stop forgiving us? <laughs> I will not be here. Amen. <laughs> you know, when Peter says seven times, I, when I read, can I forgive someone who sinned against me seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven, seven, seven. I said, he's talking about me because I sin more than hmm. seven times a day. Hmm. 
You know, God, His grace, the Bible says His grace is immense. Mm. I mean, His name is the merciful, mm. the gracious God. Mm. And so He's forgiving all the time. Mm. And He knows my weaknesses, He knows my strength. And whenever I go to Him, He cleanses me. Yeah, I talk about He cleanses of, of all the unrighteousness, He purifies us. So I walk daily in Him, even as I serve Him, not on the merit of my own righteousness, because I have nothing. But every day, every moment, I go to his grace, and then I come out of his presence. No, I am a pure man. I am mm. holy. I am a saint. My children may not admit that I am a saint, but it's not what they think. Mm. It's not determined by anyone. Mm. It's that Christ says, if I give my life to him, if I believe in him, his righteousness Mm. Is mine. And therefore, when I say, I have sinned again, he doesn't say, get out. He says, my son, that I died for it too. Mm. And so that's what keeps me going. He forgives every time. Amen. Jim, if you jump down to the final question for us. In light of all the atrocities, in light of all the trauma that you've seen and personally experienced, how, can, how do you answer the question, is God good? Because I really think underlying all these questions we've been asking, mm-hmm. yeah. we were submitted hundreds of questions, or over 100 questions. Um, you, you've seen and experienced a lot, more than most of us will in a lifetime. When you look at your personal life, when you look at all you've seen in Rwanda, Burundi, Uganda, South Sudan, mm-hmm. how can you still say God is good? Because he's good. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what I think. Really, when you look the reality of our daily life, for us to be sitting here is because of his goodness. Hmm. And the fact that we breathe, you didn't pay anything to wake up breathing. Maybe you guys, Americans, you have stored some breath. You wake up in the morning, you pick it. No, it's God's grace that we can even breathe this morning. <laughs> you know, uh, God is good. But also we know the reality of evil. There is also evil in this world. Mm-hmm. Again, God is good. The reality, uh, evil is real. But again, God is good no matter what happens. Now, uh, they are, during the, the time of much suffering, that's when we question God is good. When life is going on, we don't even ask that question. So really, God's goodness does not depend on our circumstances. That is who he is. And for us, we have to really trust in him even when we don't understand why this is happening. Mm. Why this baby is dying. Why this uh, killing of my family, innocent people. Why people get to do what they... Really, God is still good. Uh, by the way, one day we will understand. But meanwhile, our faithfulness should be the question we ask not about God's goodness because that's who he is. Amen. Am I being faithful? to my calling? Mm. Mm. Am I being faithful in following him? Am I being faithful in trusting even when I don't understand? When a man told me, um, when they, they, they took me, I think I showed you in Goma, the, the, the forest, this militia said, we are going to kill you because you have been teaching that we are killers. You want us to, for, to forget, you, you need to be a true Hutu. They took me this eucalyptus and they Told they had killed me, they left. When I was in Rwanda, this, the other tribe said, Why are you saying what you are saying? They t- took me to the torture room. The only prayer I prayed was, Lord, I want to die strong. Hmm. Because the other people were being killed. 
The other people were dying. So I was not going to say, God, are you good? God is good. And um, I said, if I have to die today, I want to die strong. Hmm. I, I mean, I'm still alive. But did God, was God stopping to be good when, if my life was taken that evening? No, he was still good and he's still good whether I'm alive or dead, healthy or not. Hmm. The key hmm. is, am I faithful in following him? Am I living the purpose for which I am here? Hmm. That's the question. God is good because that's who he is. Wow. To experience what he's experienced and to recognize that. And his answer is right. How do we know? What, why would you believe God is good? Because he is. Because he is. Would you thank Celestin for being here with us this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Love you, my brother. Thank you, Gary. I love you, too. Thank you. I want to thank you. Because really, the ministry, we are doing what we are doing because of uh, most of you, many of you, this church has done a job to support, sustain us. Providence grew up here. She is a missionary in Kenya with Samaritan's past. She is a medical doctor. It's because of what you did. So I pray that you don't give up. Even in the suffering of Gary, God is still good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish by singing about our good, good father. And uh, we're giving you an opportunity. Celestine's going to be down here. I'm going to be down here. And if you want to come do business with God, I don't know how he's touched your heart today. Maybe somebody you need to forgive. Maybe you haven't been trusting his goodness. Maybe you've been focused on your circumstances. You just come on your knees. You come before the father. We'll pray over you while you're down there. And uh, would you just come before him and honor him? So let's stand together and sing about our good, good father. I've heard a thousand stories of what your life, but I've heard the tender whisper of love, the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I never alone. You're a good, good father, it's who you are. To you are, to you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Oh, nice, many searching for words far. Because
Bless you.